Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 82 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today went from putting out fires to putting out people's fears. Cole Hatter went from saving lives as a fireman to almost losing his own life in two tragic accidents. One of them left him in a wheelchair and took the life of his best friend. It was a turning point in his life and he found himself physically, mentally, emotionally and financially broke. Fast forward a few short years and Cole has built several multi-million dollar businesses and is the brainchild behind one of the most talked about events known as Thrive, where world-class business leaders including Robert Herchevac, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone and James Altucher, to name a few, take to the stage and inspire the packed out crowd each year. He's also become a successful author, award-winning speaker, philanthropist, water sport enthusiast, adrenaline junkie, and traveling fanatic. But most of all, he's a dedicated husband and father to two little girls. Now, I've never done this before, but I came up with a short rap to really give my guest the intro he deserves. Okay, so here goes. I'm not a rapper and hope I don't flatter, but it wasn't given to him on a silver platter. And he's not all hot air and chatter, so follow him and all your fears will shatter. Because he's not just about getting your wallet fatter, but more importantly, making your life matter. Now give me a rat tat tatter and help me welcome the one, the only, Cole Hatter. Cole, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Man, I am cracking up over here. Can I get that mixed to like a like a heavy beat or something? Hell Jeez. yeah! <laughs> oh, that's gonna be my new like when I go out on stage for Thrive. That's gonna be my intro music. Like, Are you serious? Well, you know, late. <laughs> Laid over some like Drake beat or something. I'm gonna come out there to that. That was sick. <laughs> Definitely the best intro I've ever had. Uh, welcome. Thank you for welcoming me in such a cool way. What's up, Daniel? What's up, Cole? And that is a huge compliment for you from you for sure. Um, but uh, you know what's really funny is that just like came to my head while I was doing some research on you, and I was preparing for the intro. I don't know why, but for some reason the word fatter and hatter kind of like clicked in my head and i'm like mm, that rhymes let me let me see what i could do with this you know and i kind of put it together and and there you go you got you got to try it once right yeah it must be my you know long background in the hip-hop community that made that seem like a good fit for you you know my under, yeah. all my underground <laughs> records that i've been slanging so are you serious okay that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> by the way this is the first time uh, a guest is on my show because their wife facebook messaged me and told me i should have their husband on the show Oh, dude, my wife is a little G. She's it's so funny. I I hear that more and more. So I have someone that does all the PR type stuff for me, and then most of the time people reach out for me. But it's funny when every now and then it's like 
you know, so so how do we set this up? Usually in our pre-interview, I'll be like, so how are we, you know, who set this up? And they're like, oh, your wife freaking messaged me 18 times. I'm like, dude, she, she's like a little heat-seeking missile. Yeah, I got to get my wife on that. That's, that's such a great uh, tactic. I'm not giving anyone listening to this ideas because I'm not going to be answering your wife's messages, okay? It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, but Cole's <laughs> a special go. dude, so I'm like, Cole Hatter, hold on a second. Yeah, are you kidding me? Um, oh, that's bad. <laughs> wow. So I kind of want to get into your into your backstory for, for those listening that haven't heard about you yet. And if they haven't, then, you know, guys, girls, get out from under the rock that you've been living under. Um, you, you almost lost your life in, in two tragic accidents. Uh, can you take us, like, back to – what's the backstory? You start off as a fireman like why a fireman and how did how did those two incidents happen uh so in probably no, like junior high school is you know 12 13 14 is probably when most people start considering what they would do as a career right they don't necessarily have to pick it yet but that's like oh my gosh high school is in a couple of years and then college i should start thinking about it and uh growing up active in my church and just doing a lot of worldwide humanitarian work I always loved that the most. You know, my family and I growing up, we'd take vacations, but my favorite trips were when we would go like down to Mexico and build a house for a homeless family or something. So when I was picking a career or considering what career I would pick, I said, if I could get paid to help people, that would be cool. So naturally, mm. I looked at the different careers where I could have a living helping others. And I looked at being a doctor. Of course, that's a great living helping others. I looked at joining the military. I looked at being a police officer and firefighting is what resonated the most. Uh, if I could play with fire, save lives and get paid for it, I was all about it. Right. Plus, the more I looked into the industry, the, you know, the insane flexibility of schedule and hours and stuff, uh, it just made a lot of sense. So that's what I started doing. And in high school, I would go to normal high school, you know, Monday through Friday during the day. Mm -hmm. And I would take a couple of evening classes and weekend classes at the local junior college and took care of all my prerequisites for firefighting while still in high school. So that when I graduated high school, I was already ready to go right into an academy and work with a department, which is what I did. So I'm 19 years old. I had my whole life figured out. I was like, most of my buddies are still living at home with mom and dad, you know, at a junior college, getting ready to transfer in a few years or maybe got right into a four year. Mm -hmm. I'm already in my career. I'm going to retire in my early 50s, right? 30 years later and just mm -hmm. be freaking cruising. And so that was why firefighting. I just, you know, God put it on my heart to want to help people. And uh, that was that was the path. That was the course I took and probably would have, you know, lived a long career as a fire uh, fighter and then. As you mentioned, got in two accidents two months apart. Uh, the first was a car accident where my two best friends and I, there were three of us, mm -hmm. uh, driving out to Las Vegas, Nevada from Southern California. And while we were out in the middle of the desert, we got into a rollover car accident where two of us rejected, myself and Steve. Matt uh, was not ejected, so he was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance uh, to, a, to a hospital that was out there in the desert. Matt, uh, Steve and I were both so injured that we had to be rushed to a trauma center via a helicopter uh, because we wow. would not have made it in an ambulance. And uh, the the end of that story is that you know Matt and I survived and Steve didn't. And so, uh, which is kind of tough. We uh, we just celebrated his birthday two days ago, or what oh would have goodness. been his birthday. So this is all fresh emotions that were just very real. Um, you know, as we have these anniversaries and reminders throughout the year. And so. Wow. So I had to lose my, my best friend in the world at, at 21 years old. He and I grew up together. He was like a brother to me. Obviously, he had his own parents. He, he was, we didn't share DNA, but we lived together. We grew up together, and, and uh, you know, we were as close as any brothers I'd ever met. So that crushed me. 
two months and I was like you said in a wheelchair in my introduction I had to learn how to walk again and after after uh, a while I got out of my wheelchair and onto crutches and then the other survivor of the accident Matt he and I understood each other because we knew what it felt like to survive the accident that we lost Steve in like we didn't just get the call that our best friend was gone we were in the accident with him and so it was this eerie grief mixed with guilt grief oh, of losing man, Steve that sucks guilt of surviving wow Oh my goodness! And how so, long ago? Uh, how how many years ago? How many years ago is this? Twelve years ago. Wow. And so, as I was, you know, incredibly depressed, and Matt trying to be a good friend, he's like, "Let's go ride dirt bikes." And I was like, "Dude, I just barely got on my wheelchair." And he was <sighs> like, "That's the point. You can sit on your, you know, your uh, you motorcycle. Me? You don't have to walk." Jeez. And so we went out and we rode dirt bikes, and uh, we both fell into a mine shaft. What? And um. Yeah, I made it out and Matt didn't. So in 64 days, oh my I was goodness. In two accidents that took Steve and Matt uh, and I survived. Oh my God. So you must have had this massive, massive guilt trip. Like, on just, oh. Yeah, it oh was unbearable. Goodness. And so at 21, again, you know, those were, the, I didn't have a family. I mean, I had my own parents, but like I didn't have a wife or children or anything yet. So those were... <laughs> in that season of life the two most important people in my life and they were and they were both gone in accidents that i was in which made it just 10x worse so um you know that's that's what kind of got me on my course of trying to find myself and not knowing if i'd ever be able to physically be a firefighter again because of my injuries of that mm -hmm. car accident that's what steered me into entrepreneurship fast forward it's been 12 years i've been running my businesses and like you said i've had my ups and downs but uh ended up on top do you do you speak to them, to Stephen and uh, and to uh, uh, you know I did a lot immediately following the accident. You know mm -hmm. I was uh, you know yelling at God. I was like looking up the sky, yelling mm -hmm. at God, and talking to Stephen Matt. And you know uh, you know I don't uh, you know everyone has their different religious belief systems. I know they're up there. I know they're watching. Yeah. Um, I go and and you know I'll talk to their graves a lot and stuff. Like when I go and visit them, I'll be like, dude, I wish you guys were here. Oh, but it's more of just like, uh, um, I, I, you know, it's funny. That's the first time anyone's ever asked this question. Mm -hmm. I don't have verbal conversations where I'm driving my car and I'm like, hey, guys, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm walking into a big meeting right now. You know, mm -hmm. send me good vibes. I don't have like oral conversations with them or verbal mm -hmm. conversations with them. But in my heart, in my mind, I'm always like looking up and being like, you know, miss you guys. And when I do something big, uh, because they're my motivation of doing what I do, like in the world of philanthropy and stuff, mm -hmm. like when, I, when we'll build a house for a homeless family, you know, I'll just look up at the sky and be like, that was for you guys. Oh my uh, goodness. So, wow. I just so got I definitely send communication their way. Wow. You've built houses for, for homeless people. I mean, that's... Yeah, 37. <laughs> oh my goodness me. That's incredible. I want yeah, that's in Mexico, by the way. This is not like you know multi-million dollar mansions here in Southern California where I'm just tossing some of the keys to their ten thousand square foot house. But down in Mexico, um, mm -hmm. my one of the works that my nonprofit does uh, is I partner with a nonprofit that's based there, and we fund and bring volunteers for uh, for the poorest of the poor families living in the colonias of Mexico, and we um, we build them houses. And so yeah, I've been doing that since 2010. So you you went from being completely broke, right? So going back to you know you've had this tragic accident, you can't go back to firefighting. Um, you're literally you don't know what to do, and then literally within two years, I think it was less than two years, you you became a millionaire, which is completely insane. Like what what did you do that most people can't seem to figure out? 
So there's a longer it, it was a 20 month period, but it was later in life. So here's here's uh, a 10 year, well maybe like a seven year window condensed. Mm-hmm. I did. I, I became an entrepreneur, like you said, at 21, out of necessity because I didn't know how well I'd recover. I was walking at the time, but you know, being a firefighter, you have to be in perfect physical health. Yeah. So I started my businesses, made hundreds of thousands immediately because I was doing real estate in Southern California in 2005, six, and seven, hmm. when literally everyone was making oh, money. Yeah. You you could have you could have been a stick and made money, <laughs> right, or a rock. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> then 2007 turned into 2008. I got my butt kicked. Oh yeah. Um, Long story short, I moved to Mexico, lived there for seven months, which is where I started this this uh, relationship with building houses down there and all that stuff. Um, I then got engaged to my now wife, came home from Mexico, completely broke. Uh, I had sold everything I owned that I left in a storage unit, including a car, to pay for my wife's engagement ring, or I guess at the time, fiance's engagement ring. So right. I literally had no money and no possessions, and that's when I restarted. Now, I did have my business experience from those three years where I was doing well, mm-hmm. uh, and then I took about a year and a half off. Now I'm getting back into it, and from that time, which was basically March of 2011, I proposed my wife on March 23rd, 2011. We got married September 2011. So. Mm-hmm. Call it April 1st, 2011, I realized, holy crap, I'm getting married in five and a half months. I'm now going to not just be responsible for myself, someone else, and someday children. And so I took what I'd learned, uh, invested in some mentors, uh, reevaluated, and became more of a big boy entrepreneur and didn't just do one thing. That was one of the reasons I lost all my money was all my marbles were in one basket. Mm-hmm. So Warren Buffett talks about multiple income streams. I learned that the hard way. And mm-hmm. so I started several other businesses, tripled down on my existing real estate business, and that's when I became a millionaire within 20 months. Uh, from April of 2011, within 20 months, my and it's not as glorious. It's not like I woke up one morning and all of a sudden there was no clouds in the sky, <laughs> and all of a sudden like I can hear angels playing harps for me and all this crap. It's just uh, it was actually an email from my CPA saying, "Hey, dude, when you look at this, this, and this, you're a millionaire." It's like, oh, wow. cool, right on. So. So yeah, it's not quite as glorious as people might think it sounds. It was it was the same as any other day. But uh, as far as success, you know, I was able to recoup what I'd lost and make more than I ever have pretty darn quickly. Hmm. I like the fact that you brought up uh, that you've got to have you know multiple streams of income. You've got to have multiple baskets because you can't rely on one. Um, I know a lot of people who relied heavily on Google, right? Like Google in the heyday, it was amazing. Like you can literally just hire a bunch of Indians in India to just, you know, send backlinks and suddenly your 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 website was on top of Google and it was literally like printing money. And then Google changed its underwear every two weeks and now suddenly, you know, literally hundreds or thousands of, of businesses just went completely belly up. Um, right. But here's a question that I have is that how do you diversify and at the same time stay laser focused? Because I think a massive problem in, in the world of entrepreneurs is that people are all over the place. They're very easily distracted. They run after the shiny objects. They think quick win, get rich quick. And, mm-hmm. and then they're kind of like scratching their heads after like, you know, years of trying and wondering what's going on. And they just didn't keep their eye on the ball and they didn't focus and like you said, triple down, right? Um, so how do you stay laser focused and at the same time have a a diverse you know a diversification so i don't know if i do it right you know there are plenty of people wealthier than i am and all that stuff and so i'll just share what i did and Mm -hmm. uh, you know kind of like a shoe you know the shoe fits for me it might not fit for someone else but uh 
what I did is I would do one at a time. And so one of my early mentors said, like you just explained, you want to be a focus specific and not a wandering generality. So right. I did not come home from Mexico and start. Uh, I've probably started 30 businesses, <laughs> 25 <laughs> have failed and five have made me millions, right? So it's like, uh, wow. you know, we could talk to the mindset of that, of not being able to fail. And yes. also for, I meet entrepreneurs a lot who have tried one or two things and have failed and think they themselves are a failure. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's, are you kidding me? Right. It's, <laughs> it's the, you know, you got to have realistic expectations here. I have failed 25 times, lost money 25 times, but the four or five times I've got it right have made me millions of dollars, covered all my losses and made it all worth it. So, so I guess that's just a big blanket statement, but hmm. going forward, as far as being a focus specific and not a wandering generality, I would do one thing at a time. I didn't start seven businesses or 25 businesses simultaneously. I'd do one, it would work or it wouldn't. I would do the next one, it would work or it wouldn't. And the ones that would work, I would keep doing. I would then start to replace myself through the minutiae of the day-to-day -day operations as best as I could, right? Mm -hmm. Like by either hiring people or technology. Yep. And that's just outsourcing 101. Yep. And when I had more bandwidth available and things were good, I became eventually just a problem solver or decision maker for that business and not an operator. Yep. That's one thing I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. It depends on who you are. You know, Robert Hershevek, who came to Thrive, my yeah. event, uh, he, he on stage, I asked him questions. He is the operator. He, he likes to have his hands on. Gary Vaynerchuk, um, he says that he is HR. He's very hands-on. I'm not so much. I'm more of the Mark Cuban or the, um, what would you uh, what's his name? Uh, Virgin. Richard what Branson. The heck? Richard Branson. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Love Richard Branson type. Where, and by the way, these are all billionaires I'm throwing around out there. Yeah, so don't think sure. I think I'm a billionaire. But like, <laughs> you know, how does Richard Branson have Virgin Mobile, but yeah. then Virgin Airlines, yeah. but then Virgin Records? Like, okay, Virgin wait, you're in the train. record industry, you're in the mobile industry, you're in yep. the airline industry. Yep. And it's because he's more like me. He's not the operator, he is the creator. He's the thought behind it. He's the one that likes to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Then he wants to replace himself as quickly as he can with the team and then move on to the next one. So I don't think I have the right formula, but as far as someone who just heard all this, uh, you know, words come out of my mouth of, okay, so what do I do first, Cole? It's work on one at a time. And then if you choose to, once it's up and profitable, figure out how to replace yourself. And I have a formula for that if you're interested. Mm -hmm, uh, we sure. can talk on that for 30 seconds. And then, um, when you're in a position where you're like, hey, my business is buzzing along, it just takes some you know, ongoing maintenance from me, but not so much of a grind, that's when you start the next one. And when you do that for 12 years like I've been doing, at the end, you might have five or six different businesses and multiple income streams. So another thing I would emphasize is this didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. I've been an entrepreneur now for 12 years. I'd had that, that season in the middle of taking, taking about a year and a half off. So 10 years at least of active entrepreneurship over a 12-year period has gotten me where I am. I didn't just start seven businesses in that 20-month period. Would you say you're patient? Uh, yeah, I would say that not by not naturally. I really? am patient, hmm. uh, but it is not something I was born with. I'm actually like not patient at all. Uh, <laughs> and so that is an area I've really had to grow in. How do you work on that? How do you work on being more patient? Because for me, I could tell you, like, I'm extremely impatient. Like, I'm just like, okay, this needs to be the like the best. And I'm I'm, writing, I'm trying to write a book right now, which I've been trying to write for ten years, and I, I really want to get it out there. And I just like want to get it out. And I just have no patience for for anyone or anything. I just want to do everything, and and I can barely sleep at night because I'm just. I, 
you know what I'm saying? Like I've got so much energy. How do you stay calm and how do you stay patient? Because I really, truly deep down inside believe that you can accomplish way, way more by being calm and 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 patient than, than just sort of running around and, and, you know? How do you do yeah, that? Yeah, so... Uh you tell me, you tell me, right? Like this is, this has been, uh, we all have natural strengths and natural weaknesses, uh, you know, and each of us is different. I have some, some strengths that really do well for me. One of like superhuman strengths, one of my superhuman weaknesses is patient. And so this has been one of the longest, most ongoing, consistent inward reflection, checks and balances, mm-hmm. accountability, uh, paying for business coaches, paying for therapists, all that crap <laughs> of it. my entire life. So so there are things like some people struggle with getting started. I'm only halfway done thinking of something and I'm already doing it. So like that yeah. fear of failure or fear of getting started that many people struggle with, I got none of. I'll like be two thirds of the way through an idea and already halfway started. So that's something I'm good at. The thing mm-hmm. I suck at is, or many, you know, there are many things. One of them is patience. And so I'll tell you what's worked for me again. Um, it's that whatever it is, this now this is me. And if anyone's listening to this, shoot me a message on some social media platform and tell me if there's a book or some therapist or something I should read. Or, you know, right. I've tried meditation before, but that hasn't really worked for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, to be honest, I didn't try it long enough. That's right. what a lot of people recommend is, hey, Cole, do meditation. And after maybe five or six days, I my mind is so busy I could never get it to calm down so so I think that should probably be something I focus on uh, mm-hmm. learning how to do and that might help but for me this is the only way patience has ever worked is every now and then there's something that I just want so badly I'm willing to do whatever it takes period mm-hmm. every now and then like my wife I was patient I didn't tell you our whole story but we dated for two years and then she dumped me no because way. I wasn't Oh, yeah. Can you believe it? I mean, come what? on. No, I'm just kidding. But no, <laughs> this was not marriage. This was boyfriend, girlfriend. She didn't like we didn't get married and she dumped me, but right. we were dating. <laughs> she dumped me uh, and we were apart for 10 months and I was patient because I wanted her so badly. I would have mm. waited 10 years. I don't have patience, but you know, for my wife, I was. Can I just say that's very interesting. You just turned the word stubborn into patient. I love that. Brilliant. <laughs> right, uh, I'm going to tell my wife next time she calls me stubborn. I'm like, no, 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 patient. I'm patient. So, so <laughs> yeah. for anyone who's listening with to this that struggles, struggles with patience, you know, and you referenced a book, I would need to want that book so badly that nothing else mattered and hmm. that I'm worth, it's worth, let's, let's compare it. I, I like teaching through illustrations. Let's compare it to working out. Mm-hmm. Like working out, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger says he loves the feeling of the burn and he compares it to sexual things. For me, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I don't know if you've seen his, read his book or seen his movie, but uh, I, I personally don't really like the feeling of working out. I like no, I afterwards, yeah. but like while I'm on the treadmill and my trainer says I've got to run another mile and I'm ready to fall down on my face dead, <laughs> like there's nothing that's good about that. But yeah. I so want to be healthy and I so want to feel good that I'm worth putting myself through temporary pain for long-term gain or, or short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. Does that make sense? Mm. And so, oh, yeah. You know, whether it's people understand that relation or not, the only way I've ever found patience in the things that I work on in life is because I wanted whatever that thing was, that business to succeed, that relationship to work out, that book to be written so, so, so badly 
that I was able to muster up the strength to find the patient somewhere deep inside of me to do what I needed to do. And there are countless things that probably would have worked out and benefited my life that because I didn't want them a 10 out of 10, my patients didn't allow them to work out in the way that they probably could have or should have. And hmm. I've paid the price for that. So this is an area I need to work. And again, this is the longest answer to such a simple question, but the only way I've ever found patience is because I decided that I would do whatever it took for that thing to happen in the way that I wanted it to, period. No, I love it. I love it. And you know what I love about you, Cole, is that, first of all, you're really humble. Like you, you, you kind of like say, oh, you know, this is what I do, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you and it doesn't mean that that's the right way. You know, there's so many people out there going, hey, I'm Mr. X and I could tell you how you can do this because I've done it and it can definitely work for you. Shut up. You know what I mean? Like, it's not real. Right. Right? Like, totally. people, people are so sick and tired of that. And, and I love, it's so refreshing to have someone like you to just say it as it is. Like, this worked for me. It doesn't mean it's going to work for anybody else. This is who I am. And I love your, your self-awareness. Like, you have such a deep, uh, self-awareness like you and, and and i love how you also brought up the difference between richard branson and you know gary vaynerchuk or or uh robert hochevac and mark kuban they're completely different right one loves being an operator the other one likes to just sort of you know get things moving and then move on to the next thing and they want to be very hands-off and what that shows is that, and they're all very, very, very successful. So it's not one way. It's not like this is the only way. You have to outsource everything and you have to be completely hands-off in order to scale. That's not true because like you just said, like those are just a, a, a few very successful people who you mentioned that it works for them. And you know, right. so I'm going to... I'm going to be a bit presumptuous, but like, let's talk about Elon Musk, someone yeah. else who has done well in the online merchant processing space with PayPal. Yeah. And then he did very well in the auto industry with Tesla. And now he's dabbling in, you know, rockets with Mars. SpaceX and stuff. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I watch his interviews, I don't, and, and this is very presumptuous. I've never met Elon Musk would love to, but just his mannerisms, uh, the way that he answers people who are asking questions in interview format, I don't see him as a super people person. Mm -hmm. I see him as more of a behind the scenes math genius, like absolute intellectual gangster. That's how I see Elon Musk. And so if he ever created a company that needed sales, let's just talk about he's rolling out these solar roofs right now. Yep. And somebody's going to need to go and interact with people to get the world to start buying roofs. I would imagine, again, this is being presumptuous, that Elon Musk would not be that person because I would imagine, based on how I've seen him interact with humans in uh, interviews and stuff, mm -hmm. that he's, he's Sales are probably not his skill set because everyone knows when it comes to sales, people are buying you, not the product, period. That's yeah. like straight up sales 101. It yeah. doesn't matter what you're selling. They're buying you before they buy the product. And I would see now, – now, Elon Musk has such a celebrity status as an entrepreneur that I imagine people would through the – through you know, oh, it's Elon. I'll buy anything. But let's yeah. just say he wasn't. Right. And, and you just met him, who he was identically uh, without his ex insane background. Mm -hmm. He would probably not do well selling. And so you talked about self-awareness earlier. The reason that I agree with what you're saying and I appreciate you saying it's humility um, is that we're all so different. So Elon Musk, he has more – talent in his pinky finger than I have in my entire body. <laughs> He's made more money probably in a day than I've made in my entire life. 
but I guarantee you I could outsell that guy if we were in a sales contest one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. Again, if it wasn't me against Elon, but me against him before he was Elon, right? And so right. Uh, why things work for me is like you said, and, and this would be my encouragement for your listeners, I know what I'm good at. And I listened to, back to Gary Vaynerchuk at My Event Thrive, he talked about tripling down on your strengths and outsourcing the rest. Yep. And I took that advice to heart early on in my career that I know what I'm good at. I will never be a detail-oriented guy. I will never look at rocket fuel and combustion rates and weight to, to weight to ratio to, no, weight <laughs> to thrust ratio. And I can't even say it when I, when I heard him <laughs> talking about in this interview. I would need someone on my team like an Elon to do that stuff for me. But right. once I've got a rocket ship, I personally would step up and sell it to the world where Elon might get a partner or just outsource that to someone who's good at sales. So again, I'm not picking on Elon. I have massive respect for the guy, but for any of you who are yeah. listening, I mean, Elon, okay, if cool. you're listening to this, Elon, we, we love you dearly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Send me a Tesla. <laughs> let me ride a rocket. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but so, so I like to talk in a way that anyone listening to this can immediately personalize it, internalize it, or even capitalize on it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a matter of, you said it perfectly, being self-aware, being okay with that, and knowing – here's another thing that frustrated me, and I'll leave it at this because and and maybe I'm belaboring my point. But I read like success uh, habits of wealthy people, yep. and there was an article in Forbes that interviewed 10 people, and all of them woke up early, like between 4 and 5 a.m., mm -hmm. then they would spend their morning reading, journaling, reflecting, and all that stuff. Oh, and I wow. was like, cool. Yeah. If that's what it takes to be successful, that's what I'm going to do. It was freaking miserable. I mm -hmm. don't like journaling personally. <laughs> I like reading. That's cool. So that part was easy. Having to journal, I hated it. And I don't like waking up early. And I want to say early, I'm up, you know, between every day. I'm up and at it by like 6 excuse me, by like 6:15 because I have two kids that won't let me sleep. Yeah. But for me, dude, I, my highest productivity is right around now, like early mid-morning and like 7 to 10 p.m. I'm a freaking rock star. I get a second wind. Yeah. Like 7 to 10 p.m. And sometimes that 10 yes. p.m. will go to 11, 12, or 1. Yeah. And now if I want to be successful, I need to wake up at 4 when I was just working till 1 because I was in some creative spree. Right. So no. the point is reading that success habits of whoever authored that piece on Forbes or whatever it was, Entrepreneur, mm -hmm. just happened to find people that like to wake up early. That doesn't work for me. Again, I'm not sleeping until 10 a.m. But yeah. I don't want to wake up at 4 and journal. It doesn't work for me. So I would encourage the listeners to not think that any success is a one-size-fits-all. There are common denominators. We all read. We all have mentors. We all work hard, but in a way and in a fashion that makes sense to us. So don't look at Elon. Don't look at me. Don't look at you, Daniel, for this listener and say, I've got to be just like them. Uh, you want to be just like us and that you're ambitious and that you're not afraid and that you are uh, passionate and pursue using your God-given talents and abilities, the time and resources you have uh, you know, productively, yes, mm -hmm. That's a common denominator. But what the hours look like or the habits of journaling and reading and all that stuff, that needs to be unique to yourself. So I'm going to move love off it. and let you move on to the next question. No, no, but, uh, I love I'm just it. passionate about this because I see a lot of people that fail before they even get started because they're trying to be Elon or you or me or mm -hmm. Richard Branson or whatever. You know, They're trying to be what they read in articles. You need to be yourself, period. You know, Cole, the reason why my podcast show, the, the reason why I've done it like this in the sense that I don't have a list of questions, I don't have a script, um, is because I really, really don't believe that it does justice to the guest or the listeners. Because what you just did just now is you spoke from your heart and you were really passionate about this one thing that really drives you crazy and that you believe is, is so important to share. And 
you know, had I been one of these, you know, podcasts where it's like, oh my God, but I've got 10 more questions to ask him. Like, oh my God, he's going overboard. Like, that there's that there's no point. Like, what's the point of of having a podcast show? The point of having a podcast show is to 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 draw out the most in in the guest. And so I, you know, Cole, like, really, honestly, don't feel bad. Like, if if you feel like you want to go on and you want to talk about something, just like feel free, because oh. you know what I'm saying. Well, that, this that, episode's going to be four hours long. Sorry, no, bro. <laughs> well, we'll cap it, but but. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make a second session for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, how you surround yourself with some of the most influential people because, you know, you mentioned Robert Hochevac, you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk, um, and these are guys you literally, you know, you're connected with, you have a, a relationship with. Um, how do you build those relationships and how do you surround yourself with people like that? So I'll, I'll give you the tactile, non-romantic like strategy, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'll preface it by saying, you know, I, I believe in relationships over everything else. I think that human capital, aka relationships, is the most valuable currency in the world, period. Yeah. People say it's not what you know, it's who you know. I think that's baloney because if you're an idiot but no cool people, it doesn't make <laughs> any difference to you. So it's it's what you know with who you know. So. Being that I'm a strong believer in human capital, again, and like I said, it's the best currency in the world, I work really hard on in, on fostering relationships. Right. Now, uh, each each of those, you know, Grant Cardone, um, Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Gary yep. Vaynerchuk, Robert Hirschfeld, the guys that, that I'm associating with, hanging out with friends with, are coming and speaking at my events that are absolute legends, you know, yeah. uh, uh, each of how I got their attention and then instead of them just coming and speaking, but carrying an ongoing relationship with them was, was unique. And so, you know, I, I can use those as a case study, uh, but to make it again, universally applicable for your listeners, here's what I would say. People who are successful like that, they are human beings. They have hearts. They want to change the world in their own way. But honestly, they're so busy, so rich and so successful. The only way you get their attention to at least start to interact with them is to have uh, your 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 needs, your wants to align. Uh, you have to, you both have to want the same thing, and then you clearly show that influencer, that person, that by working with you, they're going to get what they want. And then when you're interacting, then it's your job to actually foster a real relationship. So I'll use Gary Vaynerchuk as an example. Yeah. Um. Well, actually, let's use Grant Cardone as an example uh, because we've been talking a lot about Gary. So last <laughs> year, Grant came and spoke at my event. Grant had a new book coming out called Be Obsessed, and of course he wants to be a New York Times bestseller, if not a number one New York Times bestseller. I knew that. <laughs> Who, why wouldn't he be? 10X was, his previous books have been. Right. And so I reached out to Grant and uh, through a mutual friend, um, and I had been invited to be on his show Power Players before, but I didn't want to fly all the way to freaking Miami to do that because <laughs> you have to do it in his studio That's when crazy. I live in you know, Southern California. And so, right. uh, that was always in the back of my mind, like, wow, you know, somebody from Grant's, uh, empire reached out to me to say, do you want to come fly out to Miami and do power players? That's cool that I'm like showing up on someone like Grant Cardone's radar. Right. But, mm-hmm. and I just kind of stuck that in the back of my mind. So here's what we ended up doing. I said, Grant, I'm going to have an event of 600 people. That's how big thrive was last year. This year it'll be over a thousand. Um, and obviously if you know, Grant Cardone, he wants to be omnipresent. He talks yeah. about that all the time. And by, if you don't know what that means, he wants to be everywhere. He yeah. wants to be, Oh, what's, what's a house Honda? Like everybody in the, or Coca-Cola. 
Grant yeah. Cardone wants his brand to be Coca-Cola, the yeah. number one most recognized brand in the world, or McDonald's. He wants to be in everyone's household. <laughs> and so so knowing that and knowing that it is a book coming out, I said, hey, Grant, I'm going to have 600 people who are in your demographic. They are entrepreneurs coming to my event live. I will buy X amount of your books pre-ordered so that the day your book comes out, all of those count as book sales to help you get on the New York Times bestseller. And for anyone who's listening to this and think the New York Times bestseller list is just the best books out there, I hate to uh, yeah. ruin your your romantic <laughs> idea of that. It's just whoever can pre-sell the most books. Right. Uh, you know, oh, oh, there's the old man behind the curtains. But the reality is <laughs> 90% of the books on the New York bestsellers list are people who pre-marketed their book and sold them in bulk before the book came out so that the week the book comes out, they've already sold 50,000 copies. And wow. so... I pre-bought some of Grant's books, and I didn't buy 50,000 copies. Yeah, right. That'd be like a freaking million bucks. <laughs> uh, but uh, I pre-bought a number of books as well as a lot of other people. And I said, okay, Grant, so not only am I going to buy your books, which helps you get on the New York Times list, I'm going to put you in front of 600 people, which helps you be omnipresent. And I'm going to be doing this circuit of podcasts on huge podcasts that collectively get millions of listens where mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about you being my headliner at Thrive. And so by the time this event is over, not only will you have I've helped you hit the New York best, the New York Times bestseller list, not only will I have introduced you to an audience of 600 people, I will have talked about you in front of millions of people. This is going to be huge brand awareness. Uh, oh, and then why? While you're here, I'm going to introduce you to some other living legends. Uh, he wanted to meet Ty Lopez, who is a good friend of mine, who is a speaker there. Jack Canfield is a friend of Grant's, who they don't get to see often because Jack lives here in SoCal. And so I mm. said, hey, not to mention the fact that I have a private speaker VIP cocktail hour oh, where yeah. <laughs> you're going to be in a room of 20 other people who are just like you. And that's hard for people like Grant and Gary and all these guys to do. Yeah. To get in a room of people is easy. To get in a room of people where they're not the biggest fish anymore, that there are people equally or even larger than them, they love that. And so what did I do? I got Grant what he wanted. And what did I get? I got Grant to come to my event. So we had aligned, uh, I don't want to say values, but we had aligned goals. And then once he was there, I, of course, did my best to foster relationships. So I did fly out to Florida. I did do his power players on the show ahead of time because I didn't want to just meet him at Thrive. I wanted to meet him beforehand. Right. And then we exchanged contact information, and then he and I have been corresponding since. So that was a long answer to say what people need to do is whoever it is that you want to get in their influence, you need to study them. I had read all of Grant's books and knew that omnipresence was important to him. I knew based on his social media and uh, I guess colleagues that are friends of mine and friends of his that he had this book launch coming out. I knew what he needed. I positioned myself to be able to help him get what he wanted and it worked out for me. And I could tell you a similar story again with Robert Hershevik and Gary Vaynerchuk and all of them, but that's how you get them. Then it's up to you now that they've shown up or actually paid attention to you to not be a donkey and to be <laughs> someone that they're like, well, actually, <laughs> let's let's exchange contact information and see where this relationship goes. And that I can't teach. That's up to you, you know, being somebody who they would want to continue to interact with. Wow. I know. I absolutely love it because it just goes to show that people are really lazy. I think, honestly, I, I think that's really what it is. It's People ask, but how do I get Gary Vaynerchuk? Oh, but how do I, like, it, you just stop being lazy. Like, go out and do it. Right. Like, totally. you, you just gave clear case examples of how at the end of the day, everybody wants something, right? We're all humans. We all want something. Even Richard Branson wants something. And if you could figure it out, then you can get a, then you can get a meeting with him. It's not that difficult. 
totally. it takes time and and creativity but most of all it takes willpower and and the willingness to get off your ass and go and do it instead of asking people how to do it um, here's a one-liner for people to write down persistence mm-hmm. wears down resistance and so you know I, I don't want it to sound too easy i had to you know uh, reach out to these people numerous times and you know, we're talking about these celebrities, like insane level type entrepreneurs, but mm-hmm. there are 200 that wouldn't even answer me. Like Mark Cuban, I want a Mark really? to come speak, wouldn't even respond, right? So mm. so don't think that this is some proven form that's going to work on everybody. Right. Uh, I don't want to say 200. I've probably reached out to 100, probably 30 wouldn't even give me the time to say no. Wow. Uh, another Another 40 said no, another <laughs> 15 got close, and then like, 10 who are just absolute legends said, hell yeah, let's do this. So people see me hanging out on stage and afterwards with, you know, Gary and Robert and all these just badasses. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not like every single, I'm not yet uh, freaking who would it be? Like Mark Cuban sends a text to anybody and they answer, right? I'm not there. So yeah, yeah, it's it's also a law of averages. It's the same thing. People ask me all the time, like, how do you get, you know, Jay Abrams and Yannick Silver and all these other celebrities, you know, guys on your, on your show. And, if they knew how many times I got, you know, no's, I mean, Noah Kagan, for example, is coming on tomorrow. I sent Noah tons of emails and he even came to visit Israel and I offered to take him out for tacos. For those of you that know Noah, he's like literally obsessed with tacos. Um, And he just flat out said, no, sorry, dude, no. And then one day he sent out like this mass email and I thought I'll be cheeky and just hit reply and be like, okay, but can you call my show? And suddenly, like, uh, a couple of hours later, I get, like, a response, and he's like, all right, let's do it. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? But you you kind of have cool. to just get out there. Just get out there and don't be afraid to ask. Like, that's, you know? It, it's funny that you brought him up because he and I have been texting. Um, no, no, was a friend of mine, so tell him I said hello and that we need to get tacos when you're on the air with him tomorrow. But... Okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I uh, he want he's supposed to come and speak of Thrive, and now he's moving to Israel as well. So maybe you're the you maybe you're the one that made him do it. I don't know. Wait, uh, what? He's moving to Israel? Yeah, yeah. Talk to him about that tomorrow. Uh, Noah oh, is moving to Israel. So that's so funny that you didn't know that because you live in Israel and I li- you're timing him on the show. So now oh, okay. it's a bit of a commute to come back to America to do Thrive. So literally, right. our last text is him saying, "Yeah, I don't think so. Thanks for <laughs> thinking of me. You know, if I still lived in Austin, Texas, sure. But now that I'll be coming from Israel, he, but he did say, "Hey, keep bothering me about it. Maybe I'll change my mind." So it's funny that you mentioned him of all people because he's one of the ones I want to come speak at Thrive this year who initially was a yeah sure but now that he's eight thousand miles away it's like yeah it's a little bit of a commute yeah uh, yeah 16 hour did, flight 6400 miles oh there no, six, you go no but, 16 hour 16 hours oh flight, 16 hours flight. yeah so yeah. so check this out though his literally i mean we've talked a bunch since but on that subject his last line was keep bothering me we'll see so mm, anyway yeah, so yeah thomas said hello and talked to him about israel bro he's unless he's changed his mind in the last three weeks but uh yeah he's supposed to be moving out there very soon like this summer oh that's so exciting wow that's that's really cool so i'm definitely gonna meet up with him yeah. by the way you know you you seem more motivated by by making an impact than you are about making money and in fact your slogan on your website is make life matter um but but you also have a slogan that says make money matter, right? So money is really important, but it's not the end goal. And I feel like a lot of people chase money, like that's their end goal. Like, oh, if only I can make a million dollars, if only I could, 
and it never really satisfies them. So like, what made you come to realize, you know, that it's not all about the money and, and money matters, but in a different way. So back to how you introduced this, you know, my accidents, I, I, I should be dead. Obviously, I survived those accidents, but I should not have. My my injuries from the car accident were life-threatening, and I literally, when I woke up in the hospital, had the surgeon that, that worked on me said to me straight up, you're a medical miracle. You should not be alive. And then he even pointed up and said, someone up there must have a plan for you. So, hmm. you know, a lot of people, someone will cut them off on the frame, and they're like, oh my gosh, I had a near-death experience. Someone cut me off. I was bleeding out of my eyeballs on the side oh of the road goodness. because my brain was selling and I had a traumatic brain injury, you know? So ah. it's like, like I almost really did die. And so, right. uh, that made me realize how precious life is. And had I died at 21, what would I have had to show for it? Uh, you know, I was a really good athlete in high school. Uh, I tried to be kind to my friends and I got okay grades. That's it. At 21 years old, I hadn't really done much for the world. So that made me realize how important life is and to make life matter. Uh, the, the second part of the slogan of Thrive being make money matter is, like you said, a lot of people think they're going to find value in their money, like by waking up one day and getting an email from your CPA saying, hey, guess what? You're over. You're worth more than a million bucks now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's somehow going to change their lives. But when that day happened for me, it was no different than the day before. And it's almost like a letdown. Like, wait, wait, I'm in the millionaire club, but I still am the exact same as I was when I was broke as far as a human being, as far as my value. And so hmm. I truly believe, and I really emphasize this, that your human worth has nothing to do with your net worth. I really emphasize that. Having money does not make you a better person. However, having money gives you more options to be a good person. So if you're an amazing person living paycheck to paycheck, the impact you have in the world is limited by your budget. You can do things locally. You can volunteer your time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage it because time is the greatest resource we have. However, if you had an extra million bucks a year, think about how much more good you could do. Instead of volunteering at the soup kitchen, you could open one if you wanted. Instead of going and volunteering at church to help you know, direct cars coming into the parking lot, you could buy your church their building. So what I always talk to people about is when it comes to money, it doesn't make you a better person. It just gives you more options to do whatever it is you would be doing anyway. If I gave Mother Teresa a million bucks, what would she have done with it? Hmm. Given it all away in a way that changed the world. And so the theme of or, or slogan, as you call it, make money matter is, hey, don't just make money and spend it frivolously. That's cool. I'm not asking you to live in poverty and give all your money away. But make sure that you're doing something with your money that actually matters, that actually is changing the world. And then number one, I have found it's easier to continue making it because now there's a greater purpose behind it. You know, Simon Sinek talks about that start with why. Yep. Uh, your why becomes, you know, what you're doing with your money to make it matter. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have found that I've had several seasons of making money twice and then in the middle losing it all like we talked about. Yep. And it was when I had none. In that season when I lived in Mexico, looking back over the three previous years where I was 21 to 25, 21 to 24-ish, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and spending it all on myself because that's what the world said wealthy people do. Yep. I looked back on that and I had remorse because I was like, dude, this sucks. I've lost all my money. I've had to sell all that crap. I foreclosed on some of those houses. Like, I literally have nothing now. And while I had it, I didn't do anything with it that mattered. It's mm -hmm. all pissed away into the wind. Wow. Next time, when I make my money back, I'm going to do things that are 
are forever, eternally significant, so that heaven forbid I lose it all again, which I don't plan on doing, but let's just say, at least I could say, hey, I don't have the cars, the houses anymore, but look at these people who are who were homeless who now have a house. Look at these people who were hungry but ate. Look at these organizations that didn't have the money but now did or do, and um, that's what I decided to do is I was going to do things with my money that would matter forever, and I did that, and it is now an event. It's incredible. And what what's the plan now with your money? Like, what's the why now? So, there's. Let's talk about two things. Our plan is to continue to do two things. Number one, my businesses are what we call four purpose businesses, like Tom's Shoes. Yep. If you've ever heard of Tom's Shoes, you buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair away. Yep. Uh, so my businesses publicly ge- demonstrate generosity through my business model of being for purpose. Now, there are some people that grow up in faith-based communities that have struggled with that and say, hey, Cole, aren't you supposed to give privately and not publicly? Mm, and yeah, I completely agree with that. And mm. so my wife and I personally, the way that we tithe and the people that we help, yep. that is our private business individually. And so what I always I always make sure to, to be clear to people is my businesses being for-purpose businesses and openly and and uh, in an obvious way, giving back to the world is number one, my business model. And number two, it's to demonstrate and inspire other people in the world to do the same thing. What I do privately is between my wife and I that we don't share with others. So back to the Tom's shoes example, if you're unfamiliar with Tom's shoes, anyone listening to this, yep. for every pair of shoes they sell, they give a pair away. And that's awesome. Now, Blake Mikowski, the founder of Tom's, who's now worth over $350 million, what he does privately with his own money, what charities he donates to, what people he helps out, none of us know. It's just the business model, buy a pair, give a pair away. Got and it. then privately with his money, he does what he wants to do privately. And so hmm. that's it for anybody like me who grew up in a faith-based community that's like, should you really be doing this? It's Doesn't it kind of feel like you're just showing off coal or whatever? No, not at all. Take another look at it. It's just a business model. And so the plan to your question is I'm going to continue to build businesses that have a social cause built into them to continue to run my four purpose businesses so that the more money I'm making, the more people in the world I'm helping. And then privately with what's my income, with what my businesses pay me after they've done their philanthropy and all that stuff, my wife and I will continue to privately do what we do you know, between ourselves and the recipient forever. Hmm. What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, getting people to connect their resources to a deeper, deeper purpose of, of people not getting caught in the rat race, mm-hmm. uh, but people people not being complacent, working their freaking asses off <laughs> to see how many lives and and how many things they can fix you know, with their talents and their resources. Measurable metrics like, hey, because I worked, these people ate. Or because I worked, these people have a house. Wow. Uh, and not just not just the theory of giving, but actually show the difference they've made. Incredible. And for, for my listeners that want to follow you on your journey, uh, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Probably social media, like Snapchat, Instagram, all that. I'm just at Cole Hatter. Um, and then the event Thrive is uh, attendthrive.com. Mm-hmm. That's that's my everything. You know, All my other businesses are secondary to that event. So as far as websites, attendthrive.com. As far as me personally, just at Cole Hatter, one word on all social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of it. Cool. And those will be on the show notes, guys. So if you head over to danielgeffen.com forward slash 82, uh, you can grab those there along with any resources that we mentioned during the episode. When is the next Thrive event, just for those listening? Because this will be published in the next week. So 
Uh, oh, cool. Is it is it fully booked already? Could they still book? Uh, no, no, yeah. We actually, as of recording this, haven't opened even ticket sales yet. Oh, so if okay. it's in a week, we probably will have. But go okay. to attendthrive.com and uh, you can pick up your tickets there. And then uh, it is in September, the Friday, September 29th through Sunday, October 1st. So literally the last two days of September, first day of October this year. So about five months from now. Guys, you want to get over there. And uh, Cole, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain today. And thank you to my fellow brain pickers. One day I'll be looking forward to picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.